and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I will be your host, alongside James Fox as well. Our guest is Andy Mazur of WGN Radio, the voice of the Chicago White Sox. Andy, it is great to talk to you, sir. Congratulations on the gig. What are you feeling? Uh, how are you doing, first of all? And of course, thanks so much for your time. Absolutely. My pleasure, guys. Uh, good to be with you here. And uh yeah, I mean, it's an exciting situation for me. It's obviously a little bittersweet uh, the way it uh, is coming about here with the fact that uh, <clears throat> that Ed Farmer passed away. And uh, it's going to be very strange to be in that booth without him. I got to be honest with you with that. Um, you know, I got to know Ed pretty well over the last couple of years. And um, people have asked me, you know, what's it like to replace him? I'm like, well, I'm not replacing him. I'm just kind of sliding into the chair because there, there are certain guys that you encounter in your life. And there's certain guys that you encounter just in general that uh, – achieve that legendary status and you don't replace legends you just try to do the best you can to keep the uh, keep things moving and uh, keep things going in the right direction Andy I'm glad you brought up Ed Farmer right off uh, the get-go here because that was my next question and I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on on the person that Ed Farmer was as well as the White Sox fan that he so clearly emanated uh, through White Sox broadcasts because you know you're one of the few lucky ones who got to work with him pretty frequently so do you have anything that, that stood out to you specifically about Ed Farmer's legacy? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Ed is a quirky guy, but, you know, quirky in a really good way. I mean, he uh, he had a lot of friends. He let you know that, which was great because he had a lot of people that he knew that were uh, were pretty, uh, pretty famous people. And uh, it was just it wasn't even really that. It was more of the fact that he was genuine and generous. And to me, those are two really great qualities to have, especially when he reached the level of success that he uh, he reached. I mean, come on, the guy was a Southside kid who ended up playing for the Southside team and broadcasting for him as well. Uh, saw him win a World Series. So, I mean, uh, he had it all as far as I was concerned. And he could have, you know, he could easily have been uh, a bad guy. And, uh, you know, he would have just said, okay, well, you know, this is a, a legendary guy. He's, he's bad. Well, it was the complete opposite because the generosity that I saw him show uh, other people, whether they be other broadcasters, whether they be the guys in the parking lot, whether they be some of the the uh, ushers at the stadium. I mean, he treated everybody with respect and, and fairly and genuinely seemed like he wanted to be there. And you know why? Because he really did want to be there. Uh, a fun loving guy. But, you know, when it comes to the generosity, I, I've said this a few times, uh, but I don't mind repeating it because Ed was the kind of guy that would, would give you the shirt off his back and then get mad at you for not asking for the shirt uh, because he really wanted to give it to you. And if you didn't ask him for it, he would be really kind of upset with you. Uh, there were a couple of times where he, you know, asked me for, I said, do you need any help with anything? And when it came to my first year there with a, with a player who, you know, kind of didn't know who I was at the time. I mean, I was, we were still trying to establish ourselves as the flagship uh, of the, uh, of the White Sox. And he said, why didn't you come to get me? He said, I know him really well. I would have introduced you to him. I'm like, well, I didn't think about it. So uh, that was the kind of person that Ed was, I mean, uh, right to the end. I mean, he was one of these guys that uh, just loved being behind the mic, loved being around a baseball stadium. Love being around DJ. I know that for a fact. And, uh, and I loved his family as well. And it's, uh, it's just a shame that uh, that he's not going to be around. I think you put that very well. And I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. Mm -hmm. Because whenever I hear Ed Farmer stories like that, the genuine always kind of sticks with me, that, that term, when describing Ed Farmer. So, you know, it just added to the list in, in yeah. my head specifically. Um, so that, that's great to hear. And, and I appreciate you again for sharing uh, and we know Ed Farmer's spear is going to live on in that White Sox booth. And when I ask you about broadcasting this season, it's mm -hmm. taking on such a different shape. 
what's it going to be like for you? What's the protocols now broadcasting games? Obviously, are you going to be traveling? Um, you know, obviously fans, at least at the start, aren't going to be at the ballparks. Uh, what's that going to be like for you? It is going to be uh, less than ideal. Let's put it to you that way. But at the same time, we have a job to do and we're going to do it to the best of our ability. Uh, to answer your question, no, we're not going to be traveling. Uh, we will not even be attending, from what I understand, the games that are at Wrigley Field due to just each team having a, a certain limit on people that can actually be in the ballpark at any one given time during a game. And they got to take care of their home broadcasters, which I completely get. So we're going to actually be calling all of our games from guaranteed rate field, whether they're home or on the road. Uh, I'm going to find out more about uh, the setup here in the next few days. But <clears throat> what it sounds like is we're going to get a television feed and we're basically going to be calling uh, calling a, a road game off the TV set, which, uh, again, like I said, is less than ideal. But at the same time, people need this stuff. I mean, I, I really feel like uh, people in America and people in Chicago really need sports. I mean, I know I do. I mean, I, I, it's just you get so wrapped up in everything that's going on and you, you start to zone out, so to speak, on all the, the bad news that's been going around. And, you know, you like to get some good news every once in a while. And you like to be entertained and take your mind off of things. So I really think that the, the job that DJ and I do this year is really with that in mind. I mean, we really feel like we have a responsibility to the fan base to, to keep them informed, to keep them entertained too. Um, yeah. Is it going to be a little different for us? Absolutely. We're not going to be able to have our eyes on, on everything. We're not going to be able to really have our one-on-one -on -one conversations with a lot of players or coaches which is going to you know, hurt the information a little bit, but we're, we're figuring out ways to try to get around that and try to make it work so that we can still have a, a quality, well-informed and a, you know, well, you know, a lot of the information that you normally get, we're, we're trying to provide that. So uh, we're working through some things. I mean, I know that uh, the White Sox are trying to do that as well. They're trying to uh, figure out the, the easiest way to get that information to us. And, you know, whatever they decide, I look at it this way. If they would have asked me to do the games from the top of the Hancock building, I would have said, okay, fine. When do you need me to be there? Because I'm just looking that forward to doing these games and uh, getting to be on the radio. We're talking about White Sox baseball and a, and a team that, uh, that looks good in a season that who knows what might happen. Andy, how much of uh, summer camp have you seen so far? And then I guess, what are some of your initial thoughts on that? Like some of the players, how weird it is, anything you can give us? Yeah, it's been really strange. Yeah. So I've, I've been there a couple of times and uh, I was really kind of impressed with the the whole protocol to get into the ballpark. I mean, uh, to the parking lot, to the to the medical tent, to the suite elevators, you, you get stopped pretty much everywhere, which is OK. I get it. Um, even in the parking lot, we're, we're spacing our cars six feet apart so that when you get out of the car, you're not standing right on top of somebody. Uh, then a medical tent is the first thing we visit, get our temperatures taken, check in. Uh, pick up credentials, and then we don't go into the building uh, through gate four, uh, which is where no media normally enters behind home plate. But we're going through the suite elevators to the fourth floor to get to the press box, and you know, we're able to wander around the 100 level during uh, during batting practice and things of that nature. So it's been interesting to, to watch the guys kind of interact because they can't be right next to each other like they're used to. They can't uh, do the high fives. They can't spit. They can't do a lot of things, but you know, from what I've seen so far, the camp is running pretty smoothly. Uh, I think Ricky Renteria and the, and the coaching staff have a pretty good grasp on, on what's needed and what's uh, what these guys need to get ready for a shortened season and a, and a quick a quick amount of time. Uh, from the inter squad game, I saw the first one, and uh, I would have to say that uh, you know the pitching looked good. Uh, the hitting's going to be a little behind, I think, just because these guys haven't seen a lot of live pitching lately. But most of these professional hitters, and what I mean by that is the guys like. 
uh, Yasmani Grandal and Edwin Encarnacion. It, it sure seems like uh, now Tim Anderson's in that group as well. Probably only needed about 20 to 25 at bats to really get themselves back in timing. But it's been really fun to watch Luis Robert. I got to be honest with you on that one. I, you know, I keep forgetting how big this guy is and we, we can't get real close, but it's, it's evident when you get even as close as we can get and the smooth jumps that he gets out in center field, it's, it's beauty. It's poetry in motion to be able to watch this guy uh, hunt the ball down in, in center field. I'll tell you what, Nomar Mazzara and Eloy Jimenez may want to give him each a quarter of their salary because he's going to make life so much easier for both of those guys in the gaps in right center and left center. Yeah, that's a good point on Robert. And Andy, I think we've talked about this before. Like when he was coming over here, there was so much talk about the bat. And then it was like, you know, maybe this is like this big hulking slugger that ends up in right field. And then when people started seeing him, they were like, oh, no, this is like a plus defender in center field. And I feel like even some people aren't even, you know, some people don't even know that now. Like I remember talking to some of the beat guys when they'd go down to Birmingham or Winston and and see him. And it's like, how good is it? And they're like, eh, you know, it's like unlike anything a lot of these guys had seen like going through some of those towns before. Yeah. I mean, I think what happened was the, everybody was focusing so much on what we heard about his prodigious power and the fact that, you know, he had all this speed and people talked about his defense, but they didn't really talk that much about it. And then when you get to a game and you're getting all geared up to watch this guy hit, you see him make a diving catch in center field, or you see him track a ball down at the warning track that he has no business getting to. And then it starts uh, you know, getting to be a legendary status, you know, the, the legend can kind of continued. I remember last year when he was at AAA Charlotte asking every player that went down there for a rehab assignment, what, what's this kid like? And they all looked at uh, uh, every one of them, a smile came to their face, ear to ear grin. And they all thought at the time he was ready to come up and help. Um, obviously he needed some fine tuning. There were some things that he needed to work on still uh, as far as uh, approach at the plate and things of that nature. But they all they all knew it. I mean, baseball players know when a, when a guy uh, has has what it takes. And I, I really think that talking to them more so than even talking to a lot of the coaches that were down at AAA last year or even double A AA or single A, you get that real information from them because they've been in that situation before and they've seen guys like him. Uh, does it mean automatically he's going to be a rookie of the year candidate? No, but it doesn't mean he won't be. And I, I really think that. Uh, he, he's approaching this very, uh, very matter-of-factly. He's trying not to get too wrapped up in it from what we hear. You know, we can't talk to him all that much, but uh, it doesn't seem like the situation is too big for him, which is, which is really refreshing to see. Here at Future Sox, obviously what we do is, is try and focus on these prospects coming up. And ever since Luis Robert put together that full season of, okay, here we go, uh, obviously the excitement level kind of quadrupled, if you want to put it that way. But he's just one of the several, we feel like, talented young players mm -hmm. now across their system that could play an impact, you know, under normal circumstances, maybe this year or next year. But given the 60-man roster and the taxi squad implementation, how do you feel about the White Sox overall and where they stand with player depth? You know, I think they're deep, and I think they're proving it right now in, in, the, in the pitching staff, uh, among other things. Um you know, a lot of talk obviously was focused on Michael Kopech and the fact that uh, he wasn't gonna wasn't gonna play this year, and there was a lot of a lot of harumphing, if you will, about uh, okay, well, we know now now what do we do? Blah 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 blah. Well, you know, you, now what we do is you, you see uh, guys like Jimmy Lampert coming back from a lickety lickety split, if you will, from a Tommy John surgery, and pitching really well in, a, in an inter squad game the other day, and then Dane Dunning, a little bit further removed from his Tommy John 
doing what he did yesterday and uh, being able to, to, to throw three scoreless innings against what uh, is presumed to be the White Sox starting lineup. And that's a pretty good lineup. So, you, you know, you're getting a chance now. And that's, it's great with the 60-man squad and the, the taxi situation that you're going to get some of these guys that, uh, you know, may or may not have been thought of to be uh, big leaguers this year. They're in the mix, whether they know it or not because they're the only of the only 60 players that can play in a game for you this year. So the, the rules, the way they are, make it kind of interesting to see which of these guys are going to open some eyes and which of these guys are going to say, okay, well, you need to go back down. You need a little more development. Obviously, this is an odd year. It's a strange year. Sometimes you hope that some of these guys being around each other uh, will help them develop, not only as baseball players, but also as, as people and as teammates. So you know, anything can really happen in this year. I hate to keep saying that, but it's the truth uh, because nobody really knows what to expect. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair point when, when you bring up the 60-man and its importance of those on that roster. But also I wanted to touch on the way the White Sox want to use their pitching staff this year. You mentioned Dunning and Lambert, and those are very encouraging stories, especially for us at Future Sox. Mm-hmm. How do you believe Rick Renteria will try and implement their starting pitching and maybe – you know, exercise their bullpen a little bit. How do you see the White Sox managing their arms at least early on uh, as the season starts up here? You know, you really could see them use their pitching staff kind of like a playoff situation. And what I mean by that is starter gets you to the sixth inning and then get them out and then get your bullpen going because they have enough depth in that bullpen, I think, to to really, if you have a lead, to to really help close it. I mean, there are guys out there that are, are throwing lights out even now that, uh, you know, a couple of guys need to bounce back from last year, but you know I still think guys like Aaron Bummer that you can really uh, you can really count on. You know Jimmy Cordero kind of came out of nowhere, really. To be honest with you, everybody was just so fascinated with the fact that he rolled up his sleeves like he did and forgot that he was throwing 100 miles an hour and, and sometimes with uh, with with good location as well. So you could see that kind of a situation develop where you're where you're trying to get your starter uh, to the fifth or the sixth inning and then get him out and then uh, do it bullpen after that. There's been some talk about splitting up some of the starters, too, and keeping some of those starters in the bullpen and maybe uh, piggybacking some games where a guy might go the first uh, first four and then another guy would come in and then go to the bullpen. It, it just depends on how many arms they want to keep on that initial 30-man squad and how many guys are healthy. I mean, because you've got guys like uh, Gio Gonzalez who are coming back from, from some injuries in the offseason, uh, didn't throw one pitch uh, in, in Glendale, and then uh, went out there the other day and, and finally was able to, to get some pitches in. So it, it all depends on exactly how they want to formulate this roster going forward, which is going to be an interesting decision because, again, you have to figure out at this point in a short season what's, what's more important. Do you need to have some, some quality depth to maybe make up for some defensive lapses later in the game? And, you know, Eloy is working on his defense, but you know, that figures like a guy like Adam Engel can really be very, very vital. And a guy like Larry Garcia, also, if Nick Madrigal is not up with this uh, initial roster, you need a guy that can play all over the diamond, and he certainly can. Will that cost a pitching spot? I, I don't know. It's, it's just really difficult to, to kind of imagine how Rick Hahn and Ricky Renteria are going to draw this up. But I, I think some guys that we may not have even expected to get a chance might, might get chances. Yeah, so to follow up with that, obviously, you know, the White Sox have more pitching right now than I think they would have had they started a normal year, right? Carlos Rodon's yeah. back. Michael Kopech's obviously not with the club, but there's some other guys too. Like Dane Dunning's ready to go. I'm surprised that Jimmy Lambert's ready to go because I think he's like right at 12 months removed yeah. from Tommy John. Um, what do you, 
I don't expect those guys to start with the club, obviously, but what do you think the chances are of seeing those guys this year? And, you know, even in like a relief role, possibly. Yeah, I think it's good. Like, like I said, you know, because you, if you're, if you have unlimited moves and you're only allowed to move within these 60 players, and especially with the guys that are going to be, uh, especially top of mind, you know, guys that are higher up in the, in the food chain, so to speak, in prospect land, why not take a look? I mean, this is such a strange year that, you know, you've got different rules. You've got the DH in the National League. Why not? I mean, I, I get I get the whole situation, you know, with service time and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, at the same time, why not see what you have? And it, I think it kind of depends on the start that they get off to as well, because it's so critical for not just the White Sox, but pretty much every team in baseball to get off to a good start. If you think you're going to make the playoffs because you don't have a lot of time to recover. So if they get off to a good start, it may be managed a little bit closer to the vest if they don't or if they're kind of in the middle of the pack. You know, why not? Because they're going to have to make a decision sometime you know, within the first 20 to 25 games. Are we going to go for it? Are we in a position where we can go for it? Or are we going to start be in a division where we want to try and still develop some guys and give them some free at bats, if you will, in, at the big league level to see what we have, to see what's going on for spring training of 2021? And hopefully you have some normalcy uh, back in, in everybody's life and in and the game of baseball as well. Uh, so, you know, I think guys like Dane Dunning could get a shot. You know, Jimmy Lampert, I think you're right. I think he's right at uh, the one-year mark for the uh, for the Tommy John surgery, which is amazing. I mean, just to see what he was doing the other day on the mound. So uh, there's a good possibility you're going to see some of these guys. How do you like their chances like in a 60 game season, how does it, so obviously anything can happen. Yep. It's kind of like the playoffs variance trumps everything, but a team like them, right. Young, yeah. uh, ready to go. They could get on off to a hot start. Obviously it could go the other way too. How can a 60 game season benefit the white Sox? Well, it could benefit and it can hurt, but I'll, I'll the benefit to me is, is even in a guy like Luis Robert, because if all of a sudden pitchers don't know how to pitch him and early on in the year, they're throwing him fastballs or they're doing whatever they need to do. And he's hitting, are they going to have enough time to adjust to, to make him look foolish? Okay. That's a good thing. I mean, obviously if he's ahead of them, it's, it's only good for the white Sox, right? But on the other side, if they figure it out early, is he going to have enough time to dig himself out of a hole to make something of this season? So you, you have a lot of, you have a couple of guys at least that are, could be in that same boat. I mean, if we see Nick Madrigal, I mean, that could be a situation too. If we see Andrew Vaughn, I mean, I don't know. I think that guy's a professional hitter right now, to be honest with you, the way I saw him hit the ball out of the ballpark the other day. So the start is critical. So what it, what it comes down to in my mind is especially early in the season, if your pitching is dominating, you've got a chance because hitters are coming up now in July rather than April. So it may not seem like a whole lot of difference in months, but it means a whole lot of difference in weather. And a lot of these guys don't like to hit in April and May, especially in the Midwest uh, and and the states where it's not exactly warm at that time of year, they're getting to situations now where they're they're coming out of the gates and it's already July. Uh, yeah, maybe they're not in the, the as as great a hitting shape as they might have been, but it certainly doesn't hurt a, a hitter to be uh, swinging in the in the humid air and also in the warm air where the ball is flying, especially at home at guaranteed rate field. So I, I think it's really going to come down to pitching early on in this season to see what kind of a chance realistically the White Sox have to, to make the playoffs this year. Because of the weather thing, something mm -hmm. jumped into my head related to Elo Jimenez. And last season, here and there at the start of it, and then he got scorching hot. And you talk about following up a fantastic end to last season and carrying it into the, uh, to the next. 
it's it's tough when obviously today under these circumstances but what are you expecting to see from Eloy Jimenez this year uh, obviously a lot of questions surrounding his defense but I think we know uh, what you're going to get out of out of that player in left field but in terms of the at-bats and what he does in this type of lineup that's you know pretty solidified across the board uh, how does that help Eloy and what are you looking forward to seeing hopefully improved in, in his game well, it certainly helps him to be in this lineup because this lineup this year is is vastly different than it was last year. It's longer. It's a longer lineup. Uh, I mean, you you can put a professional hitter in there like Yasmani Grandal, and you can you can rotate in guys like uh, James McCann and also Edwin Encarnacion and uh, defense. I mean, uh, as the DH, and of course you've got a Brayu. You hope Moncada is not out for a long time. Uh, Anderson, of course, uh, has proved himself to be a pretty valuable hitter. Nomar Mazzara was telling us the other day that he's figured something out in his swing. And it looks a lot better uh, from what he and Frank Manichino have been working on. Uh, you know, his first four years in the big leagues have been consistent, but probably not exactly what they'd like to see out of him. Uh, and maybe that's what they had in mind when they traded for him. But back to Eloy, I mean, I think that lineup is going to help protect him too. He's not going to have to carry the whole load. He can just kind of be his fun love himself and just go out there. And I, I mean, I think he figured something out toward the end of August and September that let him get as hot as he did. I, I don't think that he felt like he was able to take pitches at certain points last year because he was getting behind on the count and then he was getting that getting that slider away and he couldn't lay off. But I think he he kind of figured it out later on. And when you know when he's fouling off those sliders away, it gives pitchers a little pause to say, okay, well that that's different. He he caught up to that or he was able to foul that off. I, I gotta I gotta be honest now. I gotta be true. So I think he was he was doing a little bit of that. It can't hurt him again to be in this lineup and it can't hurt him to start this season in July because he is smiling from ear to ear as he always does. He looks like a real confident guy. And I saw him make a couple of plays in the outfield that he wouldn't have made last year uh, in these inner squad games. Again, it's inner squad games. There's no pressure. There's nothing going, nothing going on, but it does look like he really did make uh, some strides, little strides in, in the defense. And, and that's what they wanted to see. Yeah, you figure anything that you do consistently over time will improve, and hopefully that's what Eloy does in the outfield. Uh, and you mentioned Yasmani Grandal, mm-hmm. and S- Steve Greenberg of the Sun-Times the other day wrote a phenomenal article about the value that Grandal brings to a ball club, and he referenced what he gets out of his pitching staff. And I can't help but think about Dylan Cease, a guy last year uh, who made his big league debut, and there's a lot to make of the command there. And I think an interesting point about Dylan Cease is his ability to cut down on the cut on his fastball, uh, you know, try and get a more flattened plane on his four seam, um, maybe cut down on the walks a little bit. Maybe it'll help. Uh, but just the relationship that Grandall has with the pitching staff and specifically related to Dylan Cease, in your opinion, how is that going to help uh, the White Sox in this season? Look, catching in the big leagues is probably the toughest thing to do because especially when you're a new guy and you haven't seen a lot of these guys pitch, you've got to get to know guys, uh, not only as people, but you got to get to know what they have, you know, their featured pitches, what they like to use in uh, in certain situations, what their out pitch is. Uh, and you need to give them confidence that you can bounce one in when needed and you're going to stop it. So I think he comes with that credibility. I got a chance to see Yasmani when he first came up to the big, uh, when he first uh, came to San Diego when I was doing Padres games. And his defense was not as good as it is now. So you can tell he definitely worked on the defensive aspect of the game. He was always in the video room. He was always trying to learn uh, what his pitchers featured and what they do in certain situations, which is 
to me, is great to see a younger player uh, really dedicated to his craft like that and not saying, well, I'm, I've got this licked. I, I can do this. No worries. Uh, he was not like that. So I think the veteran presence that he brings behind the plate, the combination of him and James McCann should make a lot of teams jealous because these are two hardworking guys that know their pitchers and know the league. Uh, and, and, you know, specifically with Cease, I think you saw in his couple, his first couple of spring training out, outings that he did kind of figure out the cut situation on his fastball. And the thing that he was working on more, I think, was pitch efficiency. And, you know, you get, you get this with power pitchers and guys that strike out a lot of guys. They're, they're pitching around the plate more often than not. Or sometimes, you know, in Dylan's case, you're, you're, you're walking a lot of guys and you're forcing yourself into situations where you have to throw more pitches than you probably wanted to in a certain inning. Because if you look back at some of his starts last year, you go back to the second and the third inning, and it was like, is this the same pitcher that was out here in the first inning? Because he was a completely different guy. Uh, the confidence factor just kind of started to grow after he got through the first inning. So we saw him become a little bit of a different pitcher. When James McCann is telling you after a, uh, after a spring training start, and again, I know it's a spring training start, and it, there's, again, no pressure. But when he says that's the best he's seen him, I mean, he saw him at some pretty decent outings last year. But when you talk about the best you've seen him, that means to me, when a veteran catcher is saying that, it not only means that the guy is putting the ball where he wants to put it, but he's throwing the ball and throwing the pitches that are called with conviction. There's a difference between throwing a pitch and throwing a pitch with meaning. And I think that Dylan C's kind of figured that out. Andy, are you, are you expecting any surprises on the initial 30 man roster? I think, you know, I think if you were to take a look at it initially, it looks like probably 25 to 26 guys that are pretty locked into me. And, the, and then maybe just like an extra catcher or something. What do you, what do you think for that, that first 30? I'm looking at uh, Yerman Mercedes as a guy that might be around. Um, <laughs> this guy just seems to be having a good time no matter what. I mean, they're playing him at third base. They're playing him in left field. They made a diving catch in left the other day. He made a couple of pretty bonehead plays at third base today. But again, he played two games, I think, there all last year and maybe in his career. But you saw what he was able to do in spring training, and you saw what he was able to do at AAA last year. You know, it was a longer period of time, but he and Luis Robert were about even – uh, with their stats while well, Robert was at AAA and Mercedes was there. Uh, there's something about this guy, and I know he's not a kid. I mean, he's, he's, not, uh, he's not as young as far as we could consider baseball players, but he's not an old guy either. And I think that he's got some pop where you might be able to use a guy like that off the bench in certain situations. I don't, I don't know if he would be a figure behind the plate. I don't think he's a better defensive catcher at this point than, than say, Zach Collins would be. Uh, but again, when, when you're looking at that initial 30-man roster, it does give you some flexibility to pinch it late, to, to kind of uh, a matchup. If they bring in a tough lefty, uh, you got this kid who doesn't show much fear uh, going up there and, and walloping one. So uh, he could be a guy that, uh, that makes it. I'm still not convinced that we won't see Andrew Vaughn at some point. And I know that sounds crazy with the fact that he was just drafted. But watch this kid's at-bats. I mean, he is, he's above where he should be. I mean, I, I, I look at him and I look at the confidence that he has at the plate and the idea that he has when he goes to the plate. 21-year-old kids don't have that and normally. And you don't see that a lot. Uh, again, we're, we're looking at situations where we're, we're kind of looking ahead and we're not looking at it through the glasses of a major league game. But what you see, you like. And I don't know if there's something about that that they may want to look at. I'm not, I'm not really sure. You, you could see some of those kind of surprises. And in this kind of a season, 60 games, I don't think 
the word surprise should be on anyone's vocabulary because who knows? Andy, what were, you, what were your initial thoughts um, on what the White Sox did this offseason? And then ha- I guess after seeing some of the guys, the few times you have, have, have any of those thoughts changed? Like even maybe you think somebody's even better than you might have thought over the winter? Well, you know, Yasmani Grandal is a guy to me that sticks out because, again, I, I had a, a different view of him because I knew him when he was a younger player. And I hadn't been around him in, in quite some time. I think the last time I was really around him was 2013. So we're talking seven years, which is a lifetime ago uh, for a guy to, to evolve as a, as a player in big league ball. And then you watch him go through uh, playoff runs with the Dodgers and also with the Brewers. And you think, okay, well, now you've got a veteran guy that has some cachet and has some credibility in a, in a clubhouse where he's going to be able to not only guide some pitchers through, but he's going to be able to come in and uh, get you a, a key base hit here and there. And again, like I said earlier, he's one of those guys that really lengthens and solidifies a lineup. The other guy that may have gone, I don't think it was under the radar, but Edwin Encarnacion is a pro's pro as far as hitting the baseball. And, you know, Jose Abreu, it's well known that he does not like the DH. Uh, Ricky Renteria last year had to have him pulling him, kicking and screaming and maybe even call his mom to to get permission to put him at DH uh, or give him a day off. But this gives you a lot of flexibility with – with a guy that's getting a little older uh, to maybe get off his feet. you got Grandal that can play first base a little bit. you got uh, Encarnacion. You don't want to make a habit of it, but, you know, for a game here or there, uh, you probably could play Edwin over there. And he gives you a, a terrific at-bat as well. But I think the, the, the two guys in the pitching staff uh, that really stand out to me are Dallas Keuchel and Steve Ciszek. Because Dallas Keuchel, uh, I think this year can offer a unique perspective on starting a season in July because this is the second year in a row for him that he's starting a season in July. Of course, he was uh, the free agent until the Braves picked him up uh, late last year and a former Cy Young Award winner. Is he the same guy that he was with the Astros? No, but he's good. And I think a 9-9 record in limited action with a a team that was fighting for the playoffs last year in Atlanta shows you that he's still got something there. And, And plus, I think he's one of these guys from what I've seen who's not afraid to walk up to a young player and say, hey, listen, what are you thinking in that situation? This is kind of how I, I think about it. Let, let's see what we can come up with and maybe see if we can get you going a little better. And, and C-Sheck, too, is a, a guy with a rubber arm. If you're playing 60 games, he's he averages like 80 appearances a year. So, I mean, he could feasibly pitch in every game this year. And it wouldn't shock me if he did. And it gives you some more length out of that bullpen as well. And I, I guess I forgot Gio Gonzalez, too, which is hard to forget because another pro's pro. And I just want to see this guy throw one pitch for the White Sox in a White Sox uniform after all he's been through. You know what I mean? Drafted and then traded and traded and traded. And finally, and he was laughing about it the other day, that was his goal. He says, I want to throw one major league pitch in a big league game here on this mound for the Chicago White Sox, and I'll be a happy guy. Hopefully he throws more than one pitch. You mentioned the bullpen a little bit. I want to ask you this, and I'm going to get you your – I want to get your opinion on these players as well. Uh, Jared Kelly and Garrett Crochet. Now we can uh, we can assume that Jared Kelly will not sniff the major leagues this season. Freshly drafted out of high school, typically take time to develop prep arms. But Garrett Crochet, mm-hmm. 21 years old, he's throwing upper 90s already. Looks pretty polished in terms of his stuff. Obviously, there's room for improvement. But what what is your opinion <laughs> now on Garrett Crochet potentially pitching in the big leagues this year? Wow. You know, that's and something that I, I, I've had in the back of my mind, but I really haven't had a chance to really wrap my head around because I, I can't argue with anything you said. I mean, this kid is, is probably ready at least to, to show what he has. I mean, 
it's it's hard for a guy like that who's used to throwing some innings in college to have your season shut down after such a short amount of time uh, being able to pitch and then being drafted high uh, like he was and then signed and and ready to go. It'd be really difficult to see why you wouldn't want to at least give him a shot and see what's what's going on. Could this be a situation where you know you see him in one of the exhibition games or two of the exhibition games and 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 maybe make a determination at that point? But you know, I hate to keep saying the old cliche, but you know, when you when you have a type of season like this, I'm not going to be shocked by anything that any team in baseball does because there's going to be some weird things that happen. There's going to be some teams that are going to go and figure, okay, if we're not in it, we're, we're out of it. We might bring up a, a bunch of our draft picks and see what we have. I mean, there's nothing to lose in that situation. If you don't feel like you're going to go for it and you're not going to be able to do it because you're still in, in the midst of a rebuild, I think more like the, the teams like the Orioles and the Royals and, and the Tigers in that, in that breath. But, you know, the White Sox are in that next tier to me. You know, the teams that have gotten out of the rebuild and are now looking for an identity and looking for credibility and uh, looking for uh, permanent prominence in, in the central division, which is starting to come back to them a little bit. You know, the Indians aren't what they were last year. The twins are still pretty good, but uh, you know, like we said, the, the, the Royals and the Tigers are still trying to kind of figure out what direction they're going. And they've got some young players that, that can play a little bit, but uh, you know, it, it's going to, again, it's going to come down to a philosophy from that front office and what the goal is here. And, you know, I don't think any front office is ever going to go out and say, well, our goal is not to win. Our goal this year is because it's 60 games. We want to see as many of our young players as we possibly can. I mean, th- there may be some GMs that have that feeling. I, I don't get the sense that Rick Hahn is among those. Uh, but again, I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility that he wouldn't think to himself, okay, well, we got this game uh, where this guy maybe matches up pretty well. Why not see what he has? So uh, to, to kind of dodge your question and answer it all at the same time, I wouldn't be shocked. It would be a situation that uh, he, he'd be set up for as far as Crochet is concerned. Yeah, really good stuff, Andy. Really enjoying this conversation. A couple more and then we'll let you go. Sure. When we focus on the draft of 2020, how do you believe the White Sox did? How do you feel about the way they went about it, the way they allocated resources in order to ensure the signings of Crochet and Kelly? And how do you feel about the system moving forward uh, with the addition of those specific two arms? Yeah, I mean, it's great to be able to, to go out and get uh, two quality pitchers and then basically just spend your entire draft uh, with with pitching. And then why not, right? I mean, you can never have too many arms. And yeah, I think the, the, I think the funds were allocated well. I mean, you know, you, you get uh, Crochet, what it was, four and a half, I think it was. And and Jared Kelly, I think it was three, maybe the, the signing bonus. So, I mean, you're doing okay. And it's it was interesting because... All, all convention went out the window when you we, we whittle a draft down from 40 rounds to five. I mean, it, it kind of puts you in a spot where you have to maybe start thinking, and it's a cliche for GMs to talk about the best player available. Sometimes it's developing and, and maybe stockpiling a certain spot. And obviously it looks like from uh, what they did, pitching was something that they really wanted to focus on. And they, they succeeded in that respect, you know, as far as I'm concerned. I think they did a nice job under under what I thought were kind of extreme circumstances with, you know, you have all this data and you have all this information. And yeah, I mean, a lot of guys' seasons got cut short because of, of the pandemic. And it's it's kind of hard to to replicate what you think a guy might do as opposed to what you see a guy do, especially when they're as young as some of these guys are. I mean, I'm looking at some of these dates of birth and I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, this guy was born in 2001. I mean, I don't even want to tell you how old I was in 2001 or where I was. But, you know, they're, they're young guys that can can certainly uh, prove you 
to be a, a smart GM and a smart uh, scouting director and a, scrub, a smart player personnel director by the, the fact that these were arms that they felt and, and looks to be ready to go. So I, I can't complain with what they did. Andy, I've tried to make it a point to not complain too much about some of the new rules and some of the new stuff, just because like I wanted baseball back so bad that mm-hmm. I kind of told myself like, ah, whatever I'll take, it. I would have taken a, you know, a soccer style tournament at this point. Um, any general thoughts on some of the new rules and just, I guess, how you feel about them? Yeah. I mean, I have one that I just, I don't like, I get it. I, I understand why they did it, but I, the, the runner at second base and in extra innings, I, you know, I've heard some, some, some people talking about, yeah, you know, and Rick Hahn said this cause I asked him about it on one of the early zoom calls. Uh, and he said, if, if you're going to experiment in any year, this is the year to experiment. I mean, basically the, the intention is to get guys off the field. They don't want these guys around each other that much. Uh, if they can avoid it, if they can avoid a game going uh, 17 or 18 innings, five hours at the ballpark, you know, they, if they can avoid those kind of things, they're trying to do it. I was reading numbers about how this, uh, how this rule went in the low rungs of the minor leagues. I don't believe too many games got past the 11th inning. Uh, there were a few that did get into the 11th, but not, not too many uh, got past that. It's going to be very interesting to see the philosophy of managers, not only in the extra innings, but say you're the home team. Generally speaking, the rule of thumb is if you're home, play for the tie. I don't know if that's going to be the rule anymore, I, I, at least this year. I think you might see more managers going for it, trying to go for a win. Because, I mean, realistically, you go to an inning where a big league club gets to a bat with a guy in scoring position already and nobody out. Odds are pretty good that they're going to get that guy in from second base somehow, some way. The way to combat it to me is as a, as an opposing manager is to probably issue some intentional walks. I mean, walk a guy, put, put, uh, put a force play in, in, in position. And who knows, maybe you can get a pitcher to, to throw one ball and get two outs. Maybe, yeah, you have a runner at third, but I like your chances better with a runner at third and two outs than a, a runner at second with nobody out or a runner at third with nobody out. So there, there's going to be some things. And I, and I know that there are a lot of fans out there that hate the bunt. You're going to see a lot more bunting. And these innings, I have a feeling because, again, a runner at third with one out is, is a lot better than, you know, having a guy at the plate and hitting into a double play. So that's that, that's the one rule that that still kind of sticks in my craw just a little bit. I'm going to be interested to see how this uh, three batter uh, rule uh, goes into effect here and and how that affects usage out of the bullpen and actually how it affects the way that a manager might construct a lineup knowing what another manager has in his bullpen. Um, if you got a tough lefty and you stack uh, even righties against the starter that's right-handed, you're 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 kind of guarding yourself against that guy coming in maybe from to the bull, uh, from the bullpen in that game. I mean, maybe that's a little bit of a reach. Maybe that's not something that they'll they'll think about. But you know, that new rule is something that uh, will be in play this year. And you know, I I want to be upset with the with the universal DH, but I'm not. Um, you know, I was around the National League for quite a long time. And, you know, I, I always lamented the, the strategy that was involved in being a, a National League manager, having to decide for yourself if, you're, if your team was close, but you had a chance to score and your pitcher's still pitching well, do you go for the offense or do you leave the, leave the pitcher in? You know, in the American League, that's not even a thought. It can be eight to nothing and you're, you're trying to save some arms in the bullpen and you can still use your pitcher because he's not batting. You know, to me, it's a little more exciting with, uh, especially this year, trying to bring fans some excitement. And I think that uh, this is probably going to be in effect long after just this crazy 60 game schedule. I I do have a feeling that uh, 2021 will feature something like this. And I do believe in my heart of hearts that 
the next collective bargaining agreement will uh, feature the the DH in both leagues. Players Association wants it simply because it's another another roster spot for a, a very well paid guy. Uh, brings up the average salary. Uh, it certainly helps their cause, and it helps another player that uh, may be out of the league at that point. They can't play a position uh, to to at least be able to hit. So I've kind of softened my thought on that a little bit. So I think the one that I'm just not really looking forward to, but then again, sitting in a booth for a 17-inning game with no fans in the stands, uh, maybe it's better off if the game does that in 10 innings. Andy Mazur, outstanding stuff. Thanks so much for taking the time to jump on the Future Sox podcast. We wish you the best of luck. Congratulations again for the new gig as the White Sox play-by-play announcer on WGN Radio. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Enjoy the time as well, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up soon. That is Andy Mazur, the voice of the White Sox, AM 720 here in Chicago and WGN. My name is Mike Rankin, and for James Fox, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox podcast. You can check us out on anchor.fm forward slash Future Sox to engage in our entire library. We're also on iTunes and Spotify. Until next time, everyone, thanks so much for listening.